people that had the mandatories and that now maybe they will at least, if I can get this across the finish line, get the chance uh, to go before the parole board. A person who's convicted as a prior and persistent drug offender, it's a 10-year minimum. They are starting at the average sentence for a sex criminal. I'm Sarah Fetsky. This is St. Louis on the Air. For more than two decades, Missouri prosecutors could turn to a special classification for anyone convicted of two or more drug-related felonies. Once someone was deemed a, quote, prior and persistent drug offender, charges were upgraded and they lost all chance at parole. Some saw decades in prison, even though many were nonviolent offenders dealing just to support their own habits. In 2017, the Missouri legislature repealed the prior and persistent drug offender statute. But that repeal was not retroactive. And as Riverfront Times staff writer Danny Wisentowski has reported in a series of stories, many, many nonviolent offenders continue to wait behind bars. Danny's most recent cover story, it's on the streets as of Wednesday, it's there right now, tells the story of Jason Norman. Jason had served 17 years for what was essentially a DIY meth lab when Governor Mike Parson commuted his sentence. That happened in December. Now, our producer Evie Hemphill spoke with Jason earlier this week, and he explained how he learned he'd be released. It was nuts. I, didn't, I mean, I was sitting in my, like I said, I was sitting in my room, and uh, they had locked the wing down for a count or whatever. And um, we locked down like five minutes for count, whatever. But we were sitting there, and uh, the guard came to my door. And he said, "Hey, are you Norman?" I said, "I said, yeah." He said, "I've been calling for you. You need to go upstairs and see probation and parole." So I was like, "Hmm." So I went up there, not not expecting this, you know. And uh, and then that was the longest week of my prison sentence. It seemed like it was just everything was uh, going so slow then. But I mean, it gave me a lot of time to think and just. Start getting my mind ready again. Now, Jason Norman says he's still reconnecting with his kids and he's working and just starting his life over again. He told us what he hopes people take away from his situation and the situation of others like him. I mean, I understand. People, we did, I did break the law. I did, I did deserve to go to prison, all that stuff, right? But I mean, there's just so many other people that are in there for the same thing that's done so many years. I just, I do not see someone having to serve so much time for a drug offense. I mean, it's an addiction. I get all that. We break the law. We did all that. But come on, 20 years, serving 20 years? I mean, this that guy, that prosser guy or whatever, he's in there for a life sentence for, that just blows my mind. There's no, it, it's just, I don't know. I think people need to take a look at it. And I mean, I'm glad the governor did. I'm glad he is still looking at it. And that is Jason Norman, newly freed after 17 years behind bars. And joining us today with more of his story is Riverfront Times staff writer Danny Wisentowski. Danny, welcome back. It's great to be here. So, Danny, you've been covering the story of these prior and persistent drug offenders who were left behind after this repeal for years now. And I know a big part of the struggle has been trying to quantify just how many there are. What's your latest understanding on that? Right. And, you know... it is so true that we've been trying to understand, you know, how many people have been kept in prison without a chance uh, at rehabilitation, without the chance to face a parole board. Uh, as Jason Norman said, something that is very normal for inmates 
whether they're violent felons, whether they've been you know, charged with manslaughter, or even you know, some forms of murder, they get a chance to appear before a parole board that has their entire past histories in front of them, and the parole board decides, you know, is this person a danger? Is this person that we need to have locked up? And what I found in asking for data from the Missouri Department of Corrections is I asked, you know, how, how many inmates are currently incarcerated who have been charged with this particular law, the one that you referenced when they're prior and persistent drug offenders. And the data we received had 233 names, wow. which is much higher than what I had previously got. And that is because I, I, you know, as a reporter in filing these records requests, I didn't know how many laws that this little hair was hidden within. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also important to know that, to say that are all of these people, are they all nonviolent drug offenders? Are they all people who, you know, had were, were carrying a joint and then got thrown in jail? And I think that's also a question I, I can't fully answer. Mm -hmm. I think we've identified many cases where it was someone's possession charge or, uh, you know, in, in previous cases, that third strike could have been just a couple grams of, of, of crack cocaine. Um, but that that triggers this incredibly extreme sentence that could send someone to jail for decades. And, but, and Danny, I, I, I want to interject on this. As I found out in your reporting for the first time in this latest story, some of these weren't even repeat offenders. We talk about prior and persistent. Some of them got swept into this classification just because of where they committed their crime. That was new to me. Right. And I think this this goes to the point that the determination of what is a, what is a nonviolent offender? That is not a, a, a or a nonviolent drug offender is not kind of a, I'll say, you know, a category that we can see in the data. This is something that individually, each one of those people has a record. Their drug offenses were unique. Some of them were, you know, drug dealers. Some of them had maybe a weapons charge that was along with that. Some of them don't. And this is what a parole board is looking at. And to your point about what even is a prior offense, I see we found a great range in the way that prosecutors have used this. Some some folks, uh, a case about Demetrius Woods, who we may talk about later, uh, his prior offense had been an assault when he was a teenager. Hmm. But that came back in a court case when he's in his late 20s after he is arrested for trafficking drugs. And, you know, in, in that case, you see a prior offense when he wasn't even an, an adult, um, but that was very unique and had a lot to do with the circumstances of who he was, how he got into illegal drug dealing, and the degree of rehabilitation that he went through in more than a decade in prison. Mm -hmm. And I hope that listeners, if they're trying to think like, are all of these people, you know, someone who was serving a life sentence for a joint? I don't think that is the case. We have found those. We've found a number of people who are serving extreme sentences on almost laughably small amounts of marijuana, especially considering it's legal now. Right. But the, the function of prison, the function of these parole systems allows these men after serving 10 years, think of how long 10 years is in someone's life, how much someone changes. And for people like Jason Norman and, you know, these hundreds, you know, you know hundreds of others, the vast majority, you know, from my sampling of this data and understanding of how many of these really are related to drug charges, that they don't get that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea that they have to meet some, you know, a perfect drug, in, you know, inmate who you know, just had that one joint, that's not the case. But I think people should also ask themselves, how long should someone serve in jail for 
manufacturing a bit of their own meth, as Jason Norman did, who was mm-hmm. busted for having a duffel bag with some of those materials. He has spent 17 years in jail. And, and, and you know, to is, clarify this, this bigger picture here for us of, of somebody like Jason Norman, you talked about how if they don't have the possibility of parole, they don't have the chance to go before the board and, and make their case that they've changed. But they're also doing much longer sentences in general. How much time would somebody see in prison generally um, if, they, if they don't have that possibility for parole versus somebody who is just, you know, they're not designated prior and persistent. They're going through the normal system. Right. And it's something that people should think about when they think about when they hear about a prison sentence. Everybody, almost everybody, I'll say, gets a chance at parole, even those accused of violent crimes with victims. Those victims could show up at the parole hearing and say, this guy should not be out of jail. But in looking at the Missouri Department of Corrections own data, they release very detailed information about the average sentences that folks are serving, the average amount of time served before they get parole. And the numbers compared to folks like Jason Norman and these prior and persistent drug offenders are just off the charts. Hmm. The average for a drug offender is less than two years before their first release. The average for a violent felon is less than 10. The only class of criminal whose average sentence spent in prison, prison, again, before they are paroled, before they get a chance to make their case for early release, is sex and child abuse. And not even they, not even those inmates, reach the 10-year minimum that inmates like Jason Norman and the other prior and persistent drug offenders are sentenced. Hmm. This law has both removed, enhanced their crimes. Any drug crime who is a person who's convicted as a prior and persistent drug offender, it's a 10-year minimum. They are starting at the average sentence for a sex criminal Hmm. for serving in prison. That's how out of whack, you know, from the data we have now, how far off the chart these these folks are compared to other inmates and prisoners who are going through this system. Now, Danny, you mentioned Demetrius Woods, and he is one of the first guys you covered in your many years of, of covering this issue. He was originally sentenced to 25 years without parole. This was for trafficking cocaine. He filed a long-shot lawsuit after the 2017 repeal. He was actually granted parole in March 2018, uh, but then State Attorney General Josh Hawley argued it was an accident, and it looked like Hawley was successful in that Woods was likely headed back to prison after two years of freedom, even though he was living a model life in Columbia. Missouri. But instead of sending him back, Governor Parson commuted his sentence. This happened last April. Now, our producer recently checked in with Demetrius. We asked how he was doing uh, these days. And he said he's doing fantastic. And he told her a bit about his success as a small business owner. Most recently, um, I guess the exciting thing here in Columbia, I won an entrepreneur award for 2020 for moving Columbia forward with my business. Um, being related to the community, and that was pertaining to Woods Auto Spa, which I do window tinting and detailing, and um, I also have Munchie's Fish and Chicken, which is a food trailer, um, and we do fish and chicken there at my auto spa, as well as we have mobile trailers. But more recently and exciting, um, just not two weeks ago, we opened Essentials, here in Columbia, which is um, a neighborhood bodega. But we're in downtown Columbia, and I was supposed to be in prison. So things have been going pretty good. Pretty stressful for me. I'd give you a complaint on any other day, but when I look at it in hindsight, I'm pretty blessed to have the stress that I have. Now, Demetrius Wood said that he thinks a lot about the other guys in his situation, the guys who are still behind bars. 
And look at me, I'm just, I, was a, I wasn't an angel, but I wasn't malicious. And most of those guys dealing in drugs just have a problem in one area or another. And most areas is they need to know somebody care. And that usually solves a lot of the hopelessness. And Demetrius told us that he feels a real responsibility to advocate for these guys and even more. For me to be able to stand up and go talk to different officials and and, and represent more than anything, represent them with my behavior. So that that's the important thing. And the governor let me know that. He thanked me for creating the stage because, as we know, he's been in law enforcement his whole life. He's never been in the business of releasing convicts. So this is truly unique, and it gave him a human moment as well as his staff. And that is Demetrius Woods. He's now a free man after 10 years in Missouri's prison system. Danny, do you think that Demetrius's case, which did get a lot of headlines, um, do you think that's part of what spurred Governor Parson to look at other people convicted under this same statute? You know, I think it did. And it, it, you know, it showed a level of absurdity in the way these laws are being handled. And, you know, in that case, he had managed to win himself a parole hearing, the thing that being a prior and persistent drug offender was supposed to bar him from, the court actually freed him. A judge said, you know what? This repeal should apply to people like Demetrius. That court case got so tangled, went to the Missouri Supreme Court. They said, no, he has to go back to prison. He owes us these years. And he'd been out for two years. He had built those businesses. I had visited him just a couple weeks um, before the governor's commutation. Demetrius was expecting to be arrested any day. We had, you know, Missouri's criminal justice system trying to throw a business owner back in jail, trying to drag two other inmates back in, and people who had already served, you know, three times the average length of a drug offender. They were serving the sentence of someone convicted of felony assault or, again, a sex crime. Um, And these were people who did not have the chance to show that they had gotten sober, that they had managed to address the parts of themselves that had gotten into the illegal drug trade, and the things that you would hope to be the goals of prison, to not just warehouse human beings until they die, but to judge, are they worthy to be released? Are we wasting money keeping someone in a cell when they're not a danger to anyone? And, and so, um, Parson, he didn't yeah. just uh, uh, give Demetrius the get-out-of-jail-free card here. He also gave it to Jason Norman, uh, several other uh, people in that same situation as well. But as you mentioned earlier, um, beyond this small handful, there are several hundred people that remain behind bars under these conditions. And as you wrote in your cover story this week, somebody who'd like to address that is State Representative uh, Cherie Tolson-Reich. She's a Republican. She represents Boone and Randolph counties in the legislature, and she joins us today. Representative Reich, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me today. This has become a passion of mine to talk about. Uh, It's been a uh, wonderful last year, uh, starting with Demetrius Woods. He uh, actually lives in my district, but uh, how his case came about to my attention was one of my constituents was a longtime friend of mine named Phil Dooley. And Phil had uh, been a chaplain, is a chaplain uh, with the Highway Patrol. And he uh, wanted me to take a look at his case, so I met with Demetrius, and yeah, in fact, he was getting ready to be sent back to prison. Hmm. So I worked hard with the governor's staff, and the governor had not done any commutations or pardons yet, and they thought this was a perfect case. And um, so last year, 
Uh, we were in the governor's office uh, with Demetrius, his son, Phil Dooley, and myself, and, and it was a wonderful day uh, for the governor to do this. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's huge. And I understand that Jason Norman and some of these others who got parole uh, around Christmas time, this was pe- these were people that you also advocated for. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, another in particular was a Gary Mitchell. I worked closely with the governor's staff on that, and I continue to work with them. Uh, Danny there has sent me the list of uh, 200 or so names, Um, and so we are continuing to work closely with the governor's staff and Department of Corrections to see. um, And again, like you all had mentioned, I think every case is unique. Every person needs to be looked at as an individual and how they've been doing, you know, behind bars. But also these mandatory minimums, I mean, you know, back in the 90s, we had the tough on crime, three strikes, you're out. And now you're hearing criminal justice reform. I've, I had a separate criminal justice reform bill going uh, through the House and Senate last year when COVID hit. Uh, but this year, I have already filed uh, House Bill 504. It's passed through the criminal justice committee unanimously. And this will help fill in uh, part of that gap of Mm. these uh, people that had the mandatories and that now maybe they will at least, if I can get this across the finish line, get the chance to go before the parole board. And and Danny, as you wrote about in your story, this House Bill 504 that Representative Reich has introduced, this wouldn't help all these guys, but it, it would help a whole bunch of them. Is that right? Yeah, it would it would help you know from you know because the bill uh, is written to address a specific crime, second degree trafficking. I think it's about forty percent, a little less than half of the total uh, list that I was given. It would affect those, and and again, this goes to the fact that you could be charged with this if you were hit with possession or with trafficking or with trafficking near a school zone. There were many many ways prosecutors could obtain this sort of sentence, and they're not all the same, and they don't always uh, you know conform to a single stereotype. And it's why these the lack of these parole hearings is so devastating for these guys. They never get a chance to, to show that they've done what many other drug offenders get a chance to do right now, which is get get treatment, get sober, go into programs, and get out of prison, you know, while they're, you know, <laughs> before they lose decades of their life. Yeah. Uh, Representative Reich, in Danny's story, he mentioned some governors in other states um, who have taken kind of a systemic look at commutation for anybody sentenced under these type of of laws that the governor would go through each case and and sort of make a decision on that. Do you know if that's something that Governor Parson has thought about doing here in Missouri? I think his staff is doing that. I think uh, it's kind of a joint between... Department of Corrections mm-hmm. coming to his office with uh, some some potential people, and that's how he did right before Christmas. You know, twenty four pardons and four commutations. They are continuing to look at cases and um, you know on an individual basis to see who have done well and who would be maybe a good fit. Uh, so my bill started with just under one sec- statute section. 
Um, but then Department of Corrections came to me and said, hey, let's expand this. Let's widen it out hmm. to encompass more people. So it is an ongoing discussion in the governor's office as we speak. It's interesting because when, when the governor made these commutations, of course, he announced that he had done it. But he didn't do it with a lot of harumphing. He didn't really tie it to, I'm taking on this statute. I'm going to system- systematically do this like governors in other states have, have done. It seems like this effort has has flown a little bit under the radar. Uh, Representative do you think that's intentional? He's, he's maybe worried about a backlash. Uh, no, I, I don't think it's intentional. I think, in my opinion only, um, you know, he is a former sheriff, mm-hmm. a career law enforcement. He is a law and order we kind of guy. We are a nation of laws, um, and, and there are repercussions for breaking laws. But he has a human side, too, and, and about redemption. Um, and so... So I think, you know, maybe he's just not making a big fanfare of it. But I I, I can't speak for the governor, but I think this is a great start. And I think we're heading in the right direction. Boy, it is just great to hear about these efforts. And again, you mentioned this House Bill 504 that appears to be picking up some steam and and making its way through the House. So uh, State Representative uh, Cherie Tolson-Reich, I hope you'll keep us uh, posted on these efforts uh, as as this bill continues to make its way. And and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate it. And uh, Danny Wisentowski, staff writer for the Riverfront Times, thank you for joining us and, and thank you for staying on top of this issue. Always great to be here. And we do want to let people know um, Danny's uh, cover story about this. This is online now at RiverfrontTimes.com. It goes deep into this issue. Danny has done a bunch of reporting over the years. So if you want to get up to speed on any of these cases that we've talked about today, this bigger picture or this bill that Representative Reich is pushing now in Jefferson City, that's a great place to start there at RiverfrontTimes.com. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.